Welcome back to the Conclusion of the Matter podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Ren Ferguson and Ryan Weaver. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Again, we'd like to welcome everyone and thank you for listening this week and uh, we also, if you have any questions, you can email us at the conclusion of the matter at yahoo.com. You can text us, uh, Facebook message us, see us in person and, and let us know that way. But we love answering any questions that you guys have, but, uh, Ren, why don't you tell us what we're going to be looking at today? Yeah. Uh, again, glad everybody's here listening. Uh, last week and really the week before as well, we started looking at some, I guess, kind of like introductory type Christian evidences. Uh, of course, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, some arguments for the existence of God. Uh, last week, we looked at some internal evidences of the inspiration of Scripture, talking about specifically scientific foreknowledge as well as uh, prophecy and things of that nature. And this week, of course, going along with the same general theme of apologetics, but looking more at, I guess you could say, external evidences of the reliability of the Bible as a whole and also uh, specifically the reliability of the New Testament, which we're going to get into later. Uh, these things are, as always, very important for us to to look at, to remind ourselves of, or to study, uh, because God has given us all the proof that we need in order to be convicted of the truth that we read about in scriptures like uh, Hebrews 11 and verse 1 that faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen though we of course weren't in the first century or in the millennia before that uh, where they were recording scripture we weren't able to witness these things we weren't able to be with these men who were writing the scriptures we can look at them and look at the evidences that we have before us and come to a, a solid conclusion that what we have is, of course, the Word of God, and it has remained true since it has been written, and that there aren't any changes that, of course, would alter the meaning of, of the text. And so one of the first things that I think about, at least as far as external evidences of the reliability of the Scriptures, is the archaeological evidences because this is one thing that I think is extremely interesting because as we're talking about external evidences these are things that are outside of the Bible that confirm what we read in the Bible and I really enjoy looking at things like this because some people might accuse us of you know circular reasoning or confirmation bias where we just go and we find something that seems like it matches up with what scriptures teach and then we say it. But no, these are undeniable proofs and facts, discoveries that have been made that uh, prove especially the historical record and narrative that we read in scripture. Now there's a ton of different evidences that could fall into this category. I have a few. I'm sure you guys have a few as well. But one thing that I think is so important for us to remember when looking at this particular realm of evidence is the fact that, I, and I know we've all heard these arguments, we've probably read different things about this, uh, where people uh, 
will read about a nation or they'll read about a group of people or a city or some event and there's no archaeological evidence to prove that that happened and they'll say, well, see here, because we don't have some archaeological evidence that verifies that, it can't be true and therefore the Bible can't be trusted. Just because we don't have tangible evidence does not mean that it was impossible or is impossible for that event to have occurred. And in fact, there are many instances where those accusations have been made about a particular people or group or thing of that nature and then not too long after that accusation is made, they find some sort of proof for it. Yeah, and so... Even King David, um, a lot of people claim that King David was just this mythical person that the Jews had, you know, made up over time until they found, like, archaeological evidence with, like, I believe it was, you know, one of his, like, palaces or whatever you call them that they discovered, I believe, in 1993 or sometime in the early 90s. But until then, they're like, we'll see the Bible's lying about King David. And, I mean, you think of... A good, a good bit of the Old Testament is about King David in some form or fashion, and so that they try to discredit that part to discredit the whole. But then, right. you know, in nineteen in the nineteen nineties, they discovered well, actually, he was real and he existed. Mm-hmm. And here's the archaeological evidence. So yeah, and there's just there's just so many things that go along with that in that specific category, or just in the generic category of archaeological evidence things outside of the Bible that prove that what the Bible records is in fact, did in fact happen. Uh, one example that I have is something called the Moabite Stone. Uh, and it is in reference to an event in Second Kings 3. Uh, because that chapter records a battle between uh, the Moabites and the Israelites in the 9th century B.C. And... Uh, this stone was actually discovered in 1868 uh, by a missionary in Jerusalem. Uh, they found that they actually found the tablet. I think it said that it was for sale at some sort of market, and he could just tell that it was was ancient. And so he bought it, and then doing more research into it, found out that it depicted the events uh, that we also read about in Second Kings three. Now, of course, there are differences because that Moabite stone, of course, was recorded from the perspective of the Moabites, not the Israelites. Well, what we have in Second Kings is obviously recorded from the perspective of the Israelites. But, of course, there is that confirmation of that battle and that war that they had uh, in the ninth century, which, again, perhaps there wasn't prior to that evidence that that event ever ever took place. But again, 1868, they found that stone, proved that it happened. And just another example of the reliability of of the historical record of the scriptures. Uh, y'all have any examples that y'all, y'all want to bring up? I, I, there's several, yeah. as you mentioned. I think um, there's a couple um, very similar to what you talked about, King Sargon in Isaiah chapter 20 and verse 1. The only mention that you ever see of this. Um, in the year that the commander-in-chief who was sent by Sargon, king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and fought against it and captured it. And a lot of critics say, well, we, we've never seen this person anywhere else mm-hmm. in literature. Um, and I don't know the year. Um, oh, I do have it here, sorry. 1843 near Nineveh, they they actually es- excavated a palace, and in that palace they found ruins um, 
it ended up being Sargon's palace, and and mm-hmm. in the ruins it mentions uh, many details of his conquest, and among those um, was mentioned the conquest of Ashdod, which we find in mm-hmm. Isaiah chapter twenty, verse one. Now I find that pretty cool because the king that did it kept records, which they did. You know, they all like to brag about their right. conquest. Well, that turned mm-hmm. around and and you know basically validifies the fact that Isaiah was accurate. And even though we don't see this person's name anywhere else. Well, even within that particular palace, the exact battle, the the intense battle between him and the Israelites, it describes like the entire battle. And it's like one of the few parts of the palace that goes into that much detail. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. The other one I found interesting is, um, you know, in Exodus where it, it talks about the children of Israel were building the store, storage cities of Ramses and mm-hmm. Pithom. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there's two excavations, one in 1883 and one in 1908. Um, and what the, both of those indicate is that when they were excavating Pithom, the brick composition in the in that city was on the lowest level. They were filled with good chopped mm-hmm. straw, and yeah. as they got higher, well, basically would have been backwards because you would have been going from top to bottom. But in the lower sections, which would have been built first, they had good chopped straw. Mm-hmm. In the middle section, they had less straw and including stubble, and then in the, in the top layer, it was pure clay. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you go back and look at Exodus chapter seven, and we look at Pharaoh saying, "No longer give them right. straw." And then tell them to go find their own, you know, stubble and chaff. And it's just, that's really cool how that lines up there. Right, right. And I I think that account is really interesting because Moses had gone to Pharaoh asking for them just to go out three days to worship. Mm -hmm. Like he wasn't Mm -hmm. even at that point asking them, him to just let the children of Israel go. But his whole his response was, well, if you have time to go do this, obviously your work isn't hard enough. Right. And then that's whenever he did... He did that, and it's just amazing, that fact, because you can see the progression of that event that coincides with the biblical record, because obviously if they're having to gather all of their supplies, they're going to try to make it as easily as they possibly can. And so having those differences in the different layers of the the walls and of the cities, it's, that's, I don't know, that's just so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even, um, I'll kind of go back to David again. Um, there's a couple inscriptions. I've actually seen one of these. Um, when I was in college, I got to go to Israel for like 10 days. And one of the sites we went to, um, there's this inscription called the Tel Dan inscription. And I've made a few jokes about that just because it's kind of a funny name. But <laughs> um, but you also have the Misha Stele or the, uh, or the Misha inscription. Both of them also confirm um, like the the king of Israel, like the house of David, has like different, you know, terminology that was used in the Bible. And so again, if if David was this person that the Bible or that Christians or Jews have just made up, then, you know, why would these like secular sources mention him by name or the house of David in particular? So Yeah. And um again, I don't I don't read or speak Hebrew really you know, very fluently or anything, but, you know, I can I say for speak, myself that the thing exactly yeah. <laughs> exists. I've seen it. So, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's just so many examples. Another example that I think about is Hezekiah's tunnel, mm-hmm. uh, because it's discussed in second Kings mm-hmm. 20 and verse 20. And then again, in second Chronicles 32 uh, verses two through four, as well as in verse uh, 30. 
And of course, in essence, what what this is is Hezekiah, of course, I believe, uh, they were being attacked. The city of Jerusalem was being attacked, and they needed some way to get water into the city or else they were going to die, in essence. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to send these men out, and they... He made a pool, as it says in Exodus 20 and verse 20, he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And so there was a spring. Oh, now I'm drawing a blank on exactly where the spring was, but they went to the spring. They had two different teams of men. One was working from the pool that they had dug towards the the spring, and then the other one was working from the spring to the city. And they were able, and to me, the fact that they were able to meet up, up yeah. is amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they were able to dig that that tunnel to allow the water to flow more freely from the spring into that pool to bring water in, and that that helped them survive that that uh, besie- besieging. Mm-hmm. And so, again, we read that in, in Scripture, but in 1867, there's a man named Charles Warren, who is credited with discovering the tunnel because I believe he was investigating the spring and he found some sort of, I guess it, it might have been one of the entryways of that tunnel that they dug. And of course, them being able to to discover that tunnel. And I believe there's actually an inscription on the inside of the tunnel where the men met. Runs, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that describes the, the tunnel, I believe, being built by Hezekiah and things of that nature. And so, again... Just secular, secular proof of, or confirmation rather, not necessarily proof, but confirmation of what we read about in Scripture. Another example, it's not in the Old Testament, but I think this one is, is really interesting, and it's not necessarily of a singular specific event. It includes specific events. But one book of the New Testament that has often been questioned is the book of acts and whether or not luke wrote the book of acts do you have that one i was notes? i was going that I'm, my next point was the historical accuracy of acts oh really yeah, mm-hmm. exactly yeah. okay well i'll give the basic overview of it and then if ryan has any specifics he wants to give uh because there was doubt as to whether or not somebody in the first century actually wrote the book of acts because they didn't think that the descriptions whether it be political or whatever matched with the times of the first century so they were thinking well somebody who came after probably wrote about this and so they got all of these things wrong and this man his name was sir william mitchell ramsey in the 19th century he was an english historian and he was very anti-biblical and he was as it says he was convinced that the book of luke was not written by Mm -hmm. luke it was written later and so he started to dive into it go into the historical records and then he found that Luke was right about everything. Right. Yeah. Everything that they said he was wrong about, he actually got it 100% correct. And so in his attempt to disprove it, he actually convinced Proved himself, himself yeah. that Luke had to have written it. Yeah, and I think his, um, yeah, he. I, th- I don't know if he actually said it, but I had this point here that he had concluded that Luke was an exemplary historian. Yeah, um, and which that, helps when you have God, you know, telling exactly. you everything. Exactly. Um, I have a quote here from Wayne Jackson in his in his book Bible Unity an argument for inspiration. He says in Acts Luke mentions 32 mm-hmm. countries, 54 cities and nine Mediterranean islands. 
He also mentions 95 persons, 62 of which are not named elsewhere in the New Testament, and his references, where checkable, are always correct. This is truly remarkable in view of the fact that the political territorial situation of his day was in a state of almost constant change. Only inspiration can account for Luke's precision, and I Mm -hmm. think there's a lot of truth to that statement. And you mentioned the fact that political and things like that changed. I do have an example um, specifically from Acts um, chapter... uh, I lost it. I had it here. Acts chapter 17, um, where... uh, Yeah... In Acts chapter, oh, I have it highlighted on my notes. Wow, I totally missed the big yellow line there. Acts chapter seventeen, verses six through eight. Um, this is where it's talking about um, the the city officials drew out from um, Jason's house. The and um, they used Paul, uh, Paul Luke used the term politarchs, and everyone said that was not a, an official title. Um, they said. Since it's nowhere found else in Greek literature, Luke was wrong. They said he should have used more realistic terms such as, and since I don't speak Greek regularly, Robbie, I'm (laughs) going to try this, uh, strategio, which is magistrates, or um, exosius, which is authorities. But he used polytarchs. And it wasn't until 1960 that Carl Schuller, he published a list of 32 inscriptions that he found in Thessalonica, some of which were from Thessalonica. 19 of those were from Thessalonica, mm-hmm. which is exactly yeah. where this right. occurred, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, at least three of those dated back to the first century. So we're getting back right. to same place, same time, and they use the word polytarts. Yeah. Um, come to find out that, you know, really the definition um, was uh, a group of men that ruled, I think, um, but it found interesting that it was on, there's this one archway that was a main thoroughfare through Thessalonica that once stood, and it said, um, in the time of Polytarchs. And the author that, of the book that I read that from said, it, it is conceivable that Luke and those guys may have actually walked under that same archway that yeah. said in the time of Polytarchs. Mm-hmm. That's pretty crazy. It is pretty cool. So, that's really neat. Um, I thought that one was, that's another one of those, hey, yeah. you used the wrong term. And actually, no, he, no we he didn't. was right. So, yeah. Well, even that Ramsey guy that you were mentioning a few minutes ago, he, his specific purpose, he went over to like the Bible lands with this specific pers- purpose to like, yeah. I don't know, disprove wrong. Christianity. Yeah. And then he came away and was like, all right, well, Pretty much, he like became converted because of all of the archaeological yeah. evidence that he like was able to witness firsthand. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is there's discoveries made on a fairly regular basis that continue to prove other aspects of what we read about in scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and you just think about how accurate Luke was. I mean, again, like the many different people, many different like yeah. cities, cultures, like, I mean, yeah, I his mean, pinpoint accuracy yeah. was, I would have said rulers every time, no matter right. what city I was in, I would just said yeah. the rulers, you know, and he's using terms that are different. Would have fit Depend- that city. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, that, and that's, I mean, obviously I think points to, right. Some well, sort of and also higher power involvement, higher power. And then also, of course, whenever we're talking about inspiration, we know that God always uses the personalities of those people. Yep. And mm-hmm. going back to his gospel account at the beginning of it, he says, I'm writing this to give you a detailed account. He was a very detail oriented kind of person, clearly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
and that shows in his writings of, of Acts. Obviously, I'm not trying to take away from the inspiration, but that's just just yeah. how mm-hmm. solid he was. And then, of course, him being proven right in all of these other areas just gives us the assurance that what we read is, in fact, historically accurate. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been tainted to some sort of bias towards Christianity. Agreed. And I use the word tainted there, and that's kind of where... I went to next is how do we know what we have is really what it was, was in even, the first century yeah, yeah, or even the old Testament. Yeah. I mean, we look at the old Testament and you can read, um, I have a quote. So the transmission, you know, they had scribes that would make copies of these things. And it was so they would have a group that would do the transcription, especially the old Testament. They would do the transcription. They'd move it to another group and they would count the words and the letters and if it was off from what right. the, they knew something, I'd miss something. I, yeah. Now, there are going to be spellings and whatnot. You're going to find a little variance yeah. in spelling, nothing that changes the true meaning of yeah. what it is. But, mm-hmm. you know, you can read statements like Josephus wrote that he said, For we have not an innumerable multitude of books among us disagreeing from and contradicting one another. So G- Josephus is saying, as a Jew, we have this group of books that agree yeah. You know, and then once again, the Bible does not contradict itself. Josephus, mm-hmm. historian in that you yeah. know first second century right. there, and he says, um, and he said, but as the Greeks do, because they had a lot of philosophies that didn't right. necessarily agree with each right. other. Now here he said, but only twenty two books, and people like say, see, you're missing. We got thirty nine exactly. Yeah, but if you really stop and think about it, it's the way they they grouped them right. together. Right. The minor prophets were considered one the book. book. They the Pentateuch put, was the Pentateuch considered was one. one book, yeah. and then they they lumped like First and Second Chronicles as Chronicles, First and Second Samuel Kings, and Kings yeah. as one book. Um, so when you break it down, and I had a slide that I had that I did a lesson and broke it down, you it's get twenty two. It's yeah. the same books. It's the same books, yeah. Um, so should I be convinced that the same books are the ones that that Josephus even said right. that he said existed when he wrote it? Mm-hmm. And I think we can get there because of 1947 right. Dead Sea Scrolls, more real, more closer right. to us, right. right? And I think every Old Testament book or partial book except for Esther was there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the manuscripts that they found were, were a thousand years older, older than yeah. what they had previously. And what that yeah. allowed them to do was compare and say, well, how much changed over this thousand years? Yeah. And it was the same. Yeah. It was yeah. the same. I think there was um, maybe, going back to the miss like spelling spelled a little different but yeah overall it was wow right and that's another thing too the misspelling made me think of another point a lot of times people will point to those things uh as proofs of well the scriptures have become corrupted the thing is though is we can go back to the originals and verify oh no this is what it actually says and make the correction so we still have access obviously, to what was originally written. And we can use that, of course, to cross-examine and like, okay, somebody... Because if you look at the Hebrew letters, if part of that letter got faded, it would be easily confused for another one, which could cause... But mm-hmm. we don't Change. have the original original. No, no, we have we have number copies of, of the original. I think we're going to get into yeah. it, a number of copies yeah. where, where you can do that. 
right. comparison and say, well, this majority has, you know, and that's yeah. where a lot, I think you're going to dive into the translation mm-hmm. stuff here pretty. Oh, the manuscript that's your, stuff. That's yeah. your wheelhouse. So, well, I like the manuscript um, stuff, yeah. But I just find it, and, and you know, we talked about the Septuagint. It, it is the right. Greek translated Old Testament. And originally believed the first five were done in the middle of the third century BC, and then the rest of it was done by the second century BC. Jesus quotes from it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it has those same the same twenty two books that Josephus right. refers to. Um, and I'm not saying Jesus quoted every one of them, but he used that, and that tells me that he trusted that it right. was well. That's that's the, that's a good point. If you have an accurate accurate translation, you have the word of God, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of the precedent that that sets forth because Jesus didn't quote from the original, the original Hebrew, right? Yeah. Uh, but you talking about the manuscripts and I like talking about this kind of stuff just because any Christian who wants to strengthen their faith probably at some point has thought about this question. Well, how do we know that what we have in our Bibles or in the programs that we use, how do we know that that's actually what was written, you know, 2000 years ago? And there's a lot of people that try to cause or try to cast doubt on the transmission of the scriptures and how they have been changed and all of these other things. And I have, I have, let me see, one, two, three, four, I have five different examples of other historical documents to get into. Before we get into the New Testament, I won't won't take super long on these. Uh, One of them is a historical document uh, or writings of a historian named Tacitus. Uh, He was a Roman historian. He wrote the annals of the imperial Rome around AD uh, 116. His first six books are only in one manuscript. Now that's important. Remember his first six books, one manuscript. And by manuscript, we basically mean copy dated at around 850 AD. And books 11 through 16 are only in one manuscript from the 11th century. He's touted, he's referenced a lot by other historians and other mm-hmm. scholars and things of that nature going back to the first century, looking at different things of that nature. And so he wrote in AD 160, the earliest copy that we have of his work is from 850 AD. And that's only one copy that we have. The next copy that we have is from the 11th century. We're looking at 700 to 1,000 years after he actually wrote. And we only have one copy of each of those sets of books. And yet nobody really has a problem accepting his writings. Another example is Josephus, probably the most quoted first century historian. Uh, he wrote I, just, the, I just quoted him. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he wrote the Jewish Wars. We only have nine manuscripts of his work that date to the 10th, 11th, and 12th century. So again, he wrote in the first century, again, 1,000 to 1,200 years after he wrote is the first copies that we have of his work. Again, nobody doubts it. We know, okay, yeah, Josephus wrote this. We can verify what he says. Okay, that's true. Another great example is Homer's Iliad. Uh, It was composed about 800 B.C., and 
we have 650 manuscripts of his work. Now, as compared to the other ones, that's, that's a ton. More, yeah, but. Uh, but the earliest ones that we have of his are dated to the 2nd and 3rd century A.D. So again, we have 650 of them, but the earliest ones we have are over a 1,000 years after he originally wrote it. But yet again, nobody questions, questions the authenticity of it or if, well, is this actually what Homer actually wrote? Mm -hmm. Another great example is Alexander the Great, because he lived in the 300s B.C. And the first records that we have of his life were written in the first century. So 300 years after he died are the first written records that we have of his life. The earliest copies of those documents came from the 9th century. So it was written 400 years after his death, after his life. The earliest copies of that writing is from 900 years after that. And there are about 123 manuscripts that depict his life. Again, nobody in their right mind would argue that Alexander the Great never existed or that those things that we have heard of never happened. Mm -hmm. But yet we have, we have proof of it, yes. But as we're going to look at, as compared to the New Testament, it's nothing. Uh I guess we'll just go ahead and get into the New Testament. So Do that's, you have that's Julie Sealers, Julie Sealers. I don't have him in here. Gaelic, no. Gaelic Wars, um, yeah. only 10 copies, and the earliest right. is 1,000. So right yeah. along with your for first yeah. couple where it's like there's We have 10. very little copies, yeah. and it's mm -hmm. a 1,000 years after it was it, done. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, to your point, why why does the Bible get so much doubt? Yeah. Well, it's I, I mean, I think I know what it is, is because it— what it calls people to change and people Fair. don't want to change. Yeah. And so they're trying tooth and nail to disprove it. But going to the, the stats, I guess you could say that we have for the new Testament, the entirety of the new Testament was written no more than 60 years after the death of Christ. That's if you take the late date of revelation, revelation. Mm -hmm. if you take the early date, then it's more like 40 years after the death of Christ. Either way though, that's not that long. It's not like Alexander the Great where the first written records that we have were 300 years after him. 60 years at most. Now, the copies that we have, like Ryan pointed out, we don't have the original ones that Luke and Mark and Matthew and Paul and Peter actually put pen to paper, so to speak, and wrote themselves. But we have copies of those. And there are a little over... 5,000 Greek manuscripts, which that in and of itself blows all of these other documents that we just talked about out of the water. But not only that, we also have 10,000 Latin manuscripts and 10,000 in other languages. So all in all, we have, first of all, the documents were written 60 years or less after the death of Christ, mm -hmm. and we have 25,000 copies of those documents that we can go back and verify. And the earliest of those manuscripts date back, one number that I heard was 150 AD. I think but I think, yeah. I think that there was another discovery made, that, and it was dated back to 118 or 120, somewhere right around in there. So again... 
And this, I, I have a stat because I have 5,300 Greek, and 76 yeah. of those date back to the second, third century. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's not just those one or two right. that you're talking about. Right. There's still not, not 100, but 76 that right. date into that time frame. Yeah. And so, again, just going back and comparing this with all of these other historical documents, they were written, and then the first copies that we have were hundreds, if not over a thousand years after. We have copies of the originals that date back to within 60 years of the original. And not only that, we've got 25,000 yeah. of them. Right. The New Testament is the most historically verifiable document that the world has ever known. Mm-hmm. There's we and to me that always gives me so much comfort and strength because it's like mm-hmm. there's no way that we've lost something. Right. And and I think that the other thing is we can take confidence in knowing that they were around to your point they were written in the time frame you said but they were they were passed around because you look at some people call them the early church fathers whatever you want to call them like Irenaeus mm-hmm. and those guys yeah. mm-hmm. um, Polycarp um you know Polycarp studied under John so he these guys quote and I have a, a quote from a guy his name's David Wallace and he wrote a book called Revisiting the Corruption of the New Testament 2011, I mean, it's a relatively right. recent book compared to some others, but he mm-hmm. said, to date, more than one million quotations of the New Testament by the fathers have been recorded. Whoa. Yeah, and that was 2011, so I don't know what yeah. it would be now, now but yeah. I find that mm-hmm. interesting. It's not just, oh, well, three people quoted it. Yeah, you know, we can honestly probably almost reconstruct, reconstruct the New Testament yeah. just from their quotes. You're probably right. Yeah, right. that's and crazy. I mean, Old and New Testament, like whether you're talking about, you know, the early church fathers, all these manuscripts, even like the Dead Sea Scrolls, like the fact that you have literally every book of the Old Testament except for the book of Esther. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all been replicated like to the T over time, like that that Masoretic group that you re- referenced that if there was like a period out of place, right. like they would have known. Right. And yeah. I mean, you can just have full confidence in what we read today is the Word of God, yeah. whether that be Old or New Testament, just because of how many different sources that you can look to. Mm-hmm. So, And I think what we see in all of this is the providence of God. Mm-hmm. Because those the copies of the New Testament scriptures were not, obviously, were not inspired. But I fully am convinced that God worked through his providence to bring all of that about because he knew that 2000 years later, we were going to be facing these problems. Right. And not even 2000 years later, even them in the second and third centuries, even in the first century, they were, they've had doubts. And so he always gives us the evidence that we need to prove it. And in, in this book, um, reason revelation, Robert Milligan, he made a, an interesting point. I'm not, I'm not saying he's right, but you think about, um, Polycarp, you think about those guys in the first century, Polycarp studied under John. He was an elder at, I think, Ephesus, he said. Um, But these guys very well could have been given miraculous gift Mm -hmm. by the apostles. And some of those miraculous gifts were knowledge. And these guys that were putting, you know, trying to put these together as one cohesive unit. And there was a lot of challenges. Is is this book inspired? Is this book inspired? And they could... They made judgments on this one is inspired, mm-hmm. not saying that they had to, they were right or wrong, but right. they could have had, you know, the miraculous yeah. ability mm. to have that knowledge and going back to, I would say that's part of the providence of God to make yeah. sure that it was put together 
and kept together. Yep, absolutely. I would 100% agree. And this, like, this could lead us into a completely different discussion that we don't have time for, but you think, like, the Bible as a whole, 40 different authors, about a 1,600-year yeah. span, and, you know, different languages. I mean, a lot of people make the argument that, oh, well, the New Testament writers just, you know, listened to whatever the Old Testament writers did and kind of copied some of that stuff. I mean, they spoke different languages. They were, like, completely different cultures, like, mm-hmm. and there's no way, like, imagine that we— had gone to like a basketball game and then even if like 10 years passed but let's say it's like that 40 or 60 year mark Mm -hmm. and then we each like write a narrative about what took place at that basketball game i mean just between the three of us we would have three different answers yeah Mm Um, so we might even have a different winner, especially if it's a carolina duke game ryan then we would have very different takes on it but um I don't but, even think it has to be 40 years. I mean, we could have different takes just right out the gate because yeah. you're going to notice different things, and I'm going to – I, it. yeah, I think you make a great point, Robbie, is the fact that cohesiveness mm-hmm. of it is just – how do you explain that? I mean, mm-hmm. the other thing you said they could have read, but, I mean, they didn't have search engines to say, find me where right. this is, you know. Yeah, and where Paul is Psalm 51? Is saying, and Paul, Paul very well could have memorized Scripture. I'm not saying he couldn't have. But Paul's saying, as it is written, it mm-hmm. is written. Yeah. You know, the Scripture says. And it's not like he was carrying around 22 it, scrolls exactly, with him all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think there's definitely, you know, some, some proof there as well. Right. I think that's a good point. Yeah, and it per- is. That could honestly be another. Yeah. That could be another com- yeah. completely different yeah. topic. But even, even with that, if you take just like prophecies, like there's no, there's some things you just don't have control of that the Old Testament prophesies about that the New Testament fulfills, like particularly some of the things about Jesus. Right. Born of a virgin, like the exact city, his like parents, like there's just some of that that you don't have control about. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. There's really a whole lot more in all of these things that we've been discussing that we certainly could look at. I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll revisit this or get into this more later i don't know we kind of fly by the seat of our pants on on this kind of stuff but uh i've enjoyed the past few looking at this and i hope that this has uh, strengthened your faith given you maybe if you knew these things already maybe just reminded you of some of them and and given you that assurance because sometimes even though we've looked at these things you know we can begin to doubt them in our minds and so revisiting them I can always strengthen us and and perhaps uh, given you a, a newfound faith if that if that be the case and so we hope that this has been beneficial uh, for you. Uh, do y'all have anything else before we close out? I don't. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been good uh, for y'all to be here. Um, if y'all like Robbie said at the beginning, if y'all have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us. But for now, I guess you could say that that is the conclusion, conclusion of, of the matter. matter.